Man, I'll tell you, we have been blessed all morning long in a way that is just incredible. And, and the reason is, is we're going to get into the Holy of Holies. We're going to move into that place in the tabernacle where we go uh, from the outer court into the holy place and experience God. And, and then what happens in the holy place is you see that God wants to provide for you in an amazing way. You see that God wants to light your way and give you purpose and direction in an amazing way. God wants your prayers to rise up with power and touch the very heart of God in heaven. But most of all, you know what God wants to do? He wants you to go from that holy place that you're in we're on the right-hand side's the table of bread. On the left-hand side's the lampstand. Past the altar of incense, through a veil that Jesus tore, so we could enter into the very presence of God. Where the Ark of the Covenant is, where the seed of mercy is, where the grace of God is. You and I were designed for this and made for this. He wants us to enter into it. But to get there, to be in that place, there has to be some things true of us and some attitudes we need to have. And today we are really blessed because uh, we're going to dig into the Word and see that. On Wednesday nights here at Crossroads, thousands of people gather together to worship God with intimacy and power. Thousands of people gather on Wednesday nights to dig into God's Word. And uh, we love our team that does that, but I got to tell you, we love the man that's leading that team. Anointed by God. Yeah. Gifted by God, and today you're going to be blessed as he comes and shares the word. Welcome Ronnie Roa as he comes to share today. Hey. Thanks, Chuck. Appreciate it. <clears throat> well, thank you. Uh, it is a blessing to be here, and uh, I've done this the last couple of services, but I want to make sure I do it here before I jump into it. Uh, Chuck, I just got to let you know how much of a blessing you are to me and to my family. And, uh, you know, you've been a spiritual father to us, and uh, you believed in me, and uh, you just continue to be behind us and support us. And I know this is true, that Chuck, without you listening to the Holy Spirit and being the man of God that you are, Crossroads and Wednesday would not be where it's at if it wasn't for you. So I just want to say thank you. You're such a blessing to us. <clears throat> Um, that being said, let's go ahead and jump right on here. Um, let me ask you a quick question. How many of you, uh, at some point or other in your life, found yourself holding on to something very, very tightly um, because you didn't want to lose it? Maybe a relationship, maybe uh, a career, a job, a, a family, something that you're holding on to. You ever notice how when you try to hold on to it so tightly that eventually you get tired and wore out and you end up letting it go? Uh, let, me, let me illustrate this a little bit. I'm going to actually use some help from the crowd. So um, I picked you out earlier, so I'm going to ask you to come on up here. Would you come up here with me for a second? What's your name? Brandon. Brandon, come on. Come on up here, Brandon. Everybody give Brandon a round of applause. Okay. He hasn't done anything yet. Let's see. Okay, Brandon, are you right-handed or left-handed? Right-handed. Okay, I need you to use your left hand. Okay. I'm not a fool. Okay, I've got $20 on this, so here's what I'm going to ask that you do. I'm going to ask you to take this here, hold on to it up high. Okay, just get up a little bit higher there. I don't want you to hold on to it with your finger. Okay, I'm going to ask you to hold on to this $20 bill in between these two little things here for the duration of my introduction. Can you do that? Okay, the other guys before you did great, so don't mess up, okay? Thousands are watching you online right now. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Go ahead and hold on to it. Okay, this is even better than I thought. Okay, I don't lose my 20 Okay, don't hold on to it with your, your finger, okay? Don't. Like this. There we go. Okay. So here's what happens typically in life is we begin to try to hold on to these things in our life. Like it's a career, a job, a family member or something. And before you know it, the muscles begin to strain in our life and we're trying harder and harder and you're killing my joke. You got to let it go. Let it go. Okay. See how it is? Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> Take care. The point, the point of the story is this, that the thing in life that you seek to hold so tightly and so dearly when not in the priority of having God first, you will end up losing. 
Because God wants to sit at the top of our priority list. God wants to be the number one thing in our life. That's the whole of what we're going to be talking about this morning. So if you have your Bibles, Exodus 25 is where I want you to be at. And then I'm going to open us up in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity and the chance to be here, to uh, fellowship together, to worship you. Uh, and Lord, we are just so blessed to be the family that we are. And Lord, we thank you for your word of truth. We thank you that, Lord, it is a light into our life and a lamp into our feet. And I pray that everybody in here would cherish it that way, that we would continually go to it and seek your wisdom and seek your knowledge. God, I pray that our hearts and our minds and our souls are attuned to what you have for us this morning. And it's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. Okay, so obviously the whole of the tabernacle has been working up to this point. Uh, Chuck has talked about the brazen altar. We've talked about the table of showbread. We've talked about the lampstand, the, the incense. And, and so now here we are standing at the veil and looking into the Holy of Holies, we see what is called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, I love being able, able to talk about this because it's so beautiful because of the way it depicts who God is. Exodus 25, verse 10 through 22. I'm going to read a large chunk of the, the scripture so that we can all get the idea of why. In Exodus 10, it uh, says this, Exodus 25, 10, they shall construct an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide and one and a half cubits high. That's roughly 18 inches. A cubit was measured by basically the length from your middle finger to your elbow. And so that's about a cubit, unless you're really short, then it's smaller than that. Um, <clears throat> so verse 11, you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out and you shall overlay it and make gold moldings around it. So you can see how elaborate this is. Verse 12, you shall cast four, four gold rings for it and fasten them on its four feet. And two rings shall be on one side and two rings shall be on the other side. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark and carry the ark with them. The poles are to remain with the ark and they shall not be removed. Now, the reason behind this is because the ark, being able to move it, you could only move it by the poles. And so the poles continuing to be inside of the ark meant that God was with it and God was present. And so there was a really important that those poles remained in there. Verse 16, you shall put in the ark of the test, you shall put into the ark the testimony which with I will give you. Now you realize there are three things inside of the ark. The tablets or the Ten Commandments or the covenant, the, the Aaron's budding rod, and then also the manna were also inside of it. Verse 17, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide. You shall make two cherubim of gold, which you see on top. Make them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end, another cherub at the other end, and you shall make the cherubim of one piece with the mercy seat at its two ends. The cherubim shall have their wings spread upwards, covering the mercy seat with their wings facing one another. The faces of the cherubim are to be turned towards the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony or the tablets which I will give you. Now, it's, under, it's under, important to understand something about the ark. But there's two pieces of furniture here. Obviously, you see the bottom portion, which is the ark, the top, which is called the mercy seat, two pieces of furniture, they go together. And so this is the, 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 the key to this. Now, here's the, 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 the verse that I want you to really, really tie into this morning. It says this in verse 22. There, there I, God, will meet you and from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim which are upon the ark of the testimony and I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. Now did you catch that? Because what God is saying is that in this place the holy of holies in front of the ark of the covenant you can be in my presence. And the beautiful part about being in God's presence is we get an idea of his nature. We get to see who he is. We get to see what kind of God he is. And so when you look at the Ark of the Covenant, the pieces all put together symbolize God's person and his character. See, for God, this interaction we have with him is not meant to be transactional. 
You know what I mean? Like, it's the transaction. For some people, they come in, and we have to check off little things on a checklist in order to, to uh, get closer to God. And that's not really what it is. We dot our I's and cross our T's. That's not what it is. What God wants is a relationship. He doesn't want the transaction. He wants the relationship. That's what he desires. And so in the ark, he presents all about himself and the kind of relationship that he wants to have with us. The first thing we need to look at are the tablets or the, the testimonies that are inside of it. Now, understand that God gave his people the testimony because he loved them. I know a lot of times people on the outside, they, hear, look, at, they look at a scripture and they go, you know what, the Ten Commandments, is just a bunch of rules that I can't obtain to. And, you know, it's just all these things I can't, I don't want to have those in my life. But we, we miss why those things are so important and how that conveys love. For any of you who's, an apparent, who's a parent in here, you know this. And in order to love your kids, you have to set rules and boundaries. Am I right? Come on, parents, you know. Okay, you got to have rules and boundaries because that's how children know that you love them. Without, without boundaries and without limits, children just wonder if they're the parents. They're making rules for themselves, doing all kinds of, they get crazy. And so God, because he loves his people, set forth some things that he said, look, if you do these things, then you will experience my best for your life. God had the foresight, God loves us that much, and so he put this covenant together where when we abide by it, that he will be our God and we will be his people. I'll give you another illustration of a covenant relationship, and this is me and my wife. Uh, before, when we were dating, you know, it was great. I loved, I loved dating my wife and uh, my girlfriend at the time, but loved dating and the experience of dating. All the things that went along with it were incredible. But, you know, sometimes when you're young, it's like, you know, you, you, you don't want to be apart from each other for longer than a second, you know? You get in the car after you've just spent four hours together, and you're on the phone talking the whole way, and then you get to your house, and then you go in, and then you lay down in your bed, and you're still on the phone. You're not even talking. You're just barely breathing, listening to each other, you know? Are you there? You know how that is. You don't ever want to be separated. But here's the thing. And I thought that was great. But the day that we stood on that altar and when I made a covenant and we made a covenant agreement between before God that we were gonna love and cherish each other, man, our relationship went through the roof. I mean, just the experience of marriage, the experience of what God designed in the confines of his rules and what he wants for us, it was amazing. There was so much more freedom. And that's what God is saying to his people with his covenant. Leviticus 26, 3 through 12 talks about this. And I want to just key in on this last portion, verse 12, when God is talking to the people about his covenant and what it means to them. He says this, I will make a dwelling among you and my soul, my soul shall not abhor you. Now, some of your versions might say the word reject. He says, my soul will not reject you. He says, I will walk among you and I will be your God and you shall be my people. Do you catch what God is saying there? It's all about relationships. It's all pointing towards this idea that he wants to have a relationship. He says, I'm not gonna reject you. When you come to me, we're gonna walk together. I'm gonna be your God. You're gonna be my people. We're gonna do life together. This is what God's desire is. And so when you look at all the things that God requires of us, the commandments, and so some of them, the things we look at now, like spiritual disciplines, Reading our Bible, praying, spending time in meditation, going to church, all these things. Sometimes people think, well, it's just such a burden. Well, let me tell you something. If you're in a covenant relationship with someone, they're not a burden. I got to tell you, it's not a burden for me to love my wife. I love that. And I love getting a ch the chance to spend time with her and be with her constantly. And that's what God is saying. He says, we'll live, we'll, we'll live in harmony together. This is the way we should be. The next thing I want you to look at is the manna, the manna that was kept inside of there. Now, you'll know the story because Israel was wandering the desert after they were exiled from Egypt for 40 years, wandering, hungry, and was starving, saying, God, are you going to feed us? And because God is a loving father and loves his children, he always takes care. And so he said, I will provide. And so what did he do? He provided food for them every step of the way he provided for them. But because God knows that we have short-term memory loss, and we always forget all the great things and all the blessings in our life, and we only seem to remember all the bad things that happened in our life. 
I mean, isn't that true? I mean, the very fact that you're sitting in this room right now means that you are incredibly blessed, but sometimes we can just focus on the negative. And because God knew that his people would have short-term memory loss, he said, you need to take this manna and you need to place it inside of the altar. And so Moses in Exodus 16, 34 says more in detail of why this is important and why we must do it. Exodus chapter 16, verse 32, he says, Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. He says, let an omer of it be kept throughout your generation so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness and when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Again, do you see the relationship side of it? It's not about transactions. It's not about a list of check the things. He says, no. He says, I want you to understand, I was there for you. Remember when nobody was there, I was there for you. I provided. God was the God of provision, so he wanted his people to know that. The last thing inside of the, the, the ark that's important is Aaron's rod or his budding rod. Now, what was this piece? It basically was just a staff or a rod cut from a tree, and it was dead, obviously, so he was walking around with it. It had been dead for some time. Well, at the time, the people were confused. The people were unsure. They weren't knowing what was going on with what God was going to do for them. They were, they, were, they were questioning God's sovereignty and his authority for them, and so they had this petition. They said, God, we don't understand. And so God said, here's what I want you to do, because you don't trust me. He says, take Aaron's rod, put it in the tent of the meeting, and I said, I want you to go away and pray. And when you come back, I'm going to prove to you that I always take care of exceedingly and abundantly beyond what you could ever think or imagine. And so they did that. They took Aaron's dead branch rod, staff, they put it in the tent of the meeting, they went away, they prayed, they came back, and look what it says in Numbers, chapter 7, verse 8, and I love this. Because this, to me, truly is a testament of the way that God is always over the top. Every time, God is over the top. Because that's just who he is. Numbers, chapter 17, verse 8. On the next day, Moses went into the tent of the testimony... And behold, the staff of Aaron was there, the house of Levi. And guess what? It had not only sprouted forth buds, but it also produced blossoms and produced almonds. So here is God saying, you don't trust me. You don't know my sovereignty. Let me just tell you how, how much I will provide for you and take care of you. And not only will I take this dead branch and I will put leaves on it, but I'll make it have stems and I'll make it have fruit and flowers and all this stuff exceedingly and abundantly beyond what you could think or imagine. This is the relationship that God wants to have with his people. You know, the beautiful part when you look at the Ark of the Covenant and you study the Holy of Holies and what it meant, the things that were inside of it mattered so much to God. He valued those things because he wanted his people to understand who he was. And to be in the presence of, of God there in the Holy of Holies meant that you would always be reminded of who God was. And how incredible is that? To be able to stand there and see God. But a lot of times... We get so consumed and wrapped up with what's going to happen in the future. Or, you know, what about what, about what happened before? What about the, we get so wrapped up in all of those things, but God simply says, no, I am the God of the here and now. I am the God of today. Not tomorrow, not the past. Be with me today. This is the whole idea of standing in the Holy of Holies meant that you could be in the presence of God. But in order to be in the presence of God, guess what? You must be present. You have to be with him. You can't keep worrying about all the other stuff and get yourself so riled up that you're, not, not, you're missing God. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still or cease striving and know that I am God. You see, we can work ourselves up into a frenzy trying to try to get do things and all this stuff and we cloud our minds and God says, Stop. Be with me today. Be with me here because I am the God of the here and now. He doesn't want us getting too wrapped up in all this other stuff. God always provides. His name, Yahweh, means only one. I am present, just me. That's it. That's all God means. 
And so here's, here's, the, here's the incredible part. Because we have this elaborate, beautiful symbol of God, here's what we do in our life. We come over here and we build our memory box, okay? I don't have a lot of money, and so we have a shoe box. Not very pretty, okay? So what we do with our little memory box, Natalia and I have this, is we put things that are valuable to us, similar to like what God puts in there. We think these are valuable. And we hold on to these things. And so, you know what happens is, you know, we have this thing and we, we, we begin to put stuff into it and really care for it. And one of the first things I think people do is they take their family, their husband or their wife or their kids or whatever, they take their family and this thing becomes so important. You know, they'll, they'll spend hours, we'll spend hours and hours in money and we'll go on vacation and we'll do all this stuff because we want to pour into this. Meanwhile, forgetting where God lies in our priority list. You know, we'll go out with our husbands and our wives and yet we won't spend even 10 minutes with God and his word praying and talking with him. We take the blessing that God has given us and we let the blessings supersede the God who gave them to us. That's not what we need to do. I'm not saying that any of these things that I'm about to talk about are bad, but what I'm saying is that they have to have a proper context and they have to have a proper priority in your life. You can never let those blessings go above and beyond God. But we take our families, we take all these stuff, and we make our children sometimes, we make our children like idols in our life. Oh, it's all about them, it's all about them. Meanwhile, we never spend time with God. And people wonder why they get this disconnect, why they don't experience God. Well, I take a quick, you know, spiritual inventory test when I talk to people and I say, hey, you, know, you know, things aren't going good. Well, how much time do you spend praying? You know, once in a while I pray when I'm driving or something, okay? So you barely talk to God. When's the last time you, you read your word? Well, it's been, you know, quite a few weeks, but I don't really have time because I'm so busy and... You know what happens? The next thing, work. Work becomes the thing in your life that you just spend so much time and so much energy in because you think, I have to provide for my family, Ronnie. You don't understand. I have to work 80 hours a week and I don't have time when I come home to spend with God because I need to provide. All the while you forget the manna inside the ark that says he is the God who provides. That if you really truly trusted God, that you wouldn't have to worry. You could make time. You could carve out time so that you would spend time with God. Again, it's a blessing to have a job, but does that blessing supersede the God who provided it for you? What's, what sits in that priority list for you? Here's another one. And this one gets me. Sports. Yeah, I got uh, some interactions from this one. You know, it's interesting how much time and energy will be spent into sports, specifically parents who want to continue to put their children through sports programs. And you know what's interesting is they'll, they'll take their children and they'll make sure they got to be at that Sunday game. And you know what? It's a long day, so we're probably going to have to miss church. Oh, really? So what you're telling me is that you're willing to exchange your child's athleticism for their spirituality? Is that where we've come? Is that what we're saying? Is that what we're, we're portraying to our children? Now, I know the reason why we want our kids to go to sports is because we want them to understand commitment and character. And again, none of these things are bad. But here's the thing. If you want to teach your kids commitment and character, how about this? Show up every single week to church and make sure you're praying and make sure that you're tithing and make sure that you're in your word every single day. That's the example we need to be setting for our children. That's the priority where God should be. When we put it in that context, it's beautiful. I, I love this because um, my, my, my parents-in-law, my mother and my father-in-law, they, if anybody know what it's like to go through sports, they've had four children, and so they know what it's like to have their kids go through sports. And let me tell you, they value sports, okay? But here's the thing. When the kids had a game early on Sunday, say it was a nine o'clock game, well, guess what? Everybody's up and they're at church at 7 a.m. Because church was that important. Because God is that much more important to, to me and my family than sports. We have, praise God. 
Again, what I'm saying is there needs to be a balance. I'm not saying you need to quit your job. I'm not saying you need to quit your family. That's not what I'm saying. But here's the beautiful part. When you put God first, when you make God a priority, guess what? Everything falls in line. Everything is the way that God intended it and it's all meant to be and it works perfect and that's the way that God wanted it for us. But all too often, we're willing to exchange that. We're so quick to give that up and exchange God's presence for our own, our own little, little God, the little G God over here instead of being in the presence of the big G God over there. I love what A.W. Tozer says in his book, The Pursuit of God. A.W. Tozer, uh, man, when you read that book, you see how much he loved to be in the presence of God. And he says this, talking about the tabernacle and talking about the Holy of Holies, he says, why do we as Christians, why do we consent to abide all of our days just outside the Holy of Holies and never at all enter in to look upon God? Oh, man. He says, why do we consent to just hang around outside and not ever enter into the presence of God? I mean, the truth of the matter is is that the veil that blocked the majority of people, only the priests could go in, the veil, the minute Jesus Christ went to that cross and died, was torn, and the full presence of God was available to you here and now. And yet we stand over here avoiding it. We stand over here consumed with all this other stuff in our life. You know, I... I know that's one of the issues with consumerism today is that we can become so enwrapped and enthralled in all of those things, we forget where God should fit in the picture. And I believe that we have so filled and consumed our lives with the drumming of this world that we can no longer hear God's whisper. And you know what? The beautiful part about the Holy of Holies is that if you were to enter there, nothing else was allowed to be there. Nothing else could enter into the Holy of Holies. Just that, just the ark, just God was only the only one that could be in there. You can't bring other things in there. Why? Because only God can be unrivaled, unmatched, and unparalleled there in the Holy of Holies. There was a man in scripture that you'll know, uh, probably some of you are familiar with, Abraham uh, was, a, was a man who learned this lesson pretty well. Uh, if you don't know the story, let me just kind of give you a recap. Abraham was a man who loved God and was following God. And, you know, he just wanted a son. If he just could have a son, that would be, that would be great for him. And God promised him, hey, look, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And I'm going to give you this son. And he's going to, from, from the descendants of that son, you're going to have more than the sands on the sea. You're going to have more than the stars in the sky. And that was great for Abraham when he was like in his 30s, 40s, thinking this is awesome. Not so great when you're 90. And so here's Abraham at 90 years old going, God, what happened? Where is this promise that's unfulfilled? I'm waiting for my son. What's going on here? And so finally, God gives him his son. And you can just imagine Abraham's joy and excitement. Well, after 90 years, he finally sees the fulfillment of the promise that God would give him his son. And so he's there with his son. He spends every single waking moment with his son. Every day, they're doing things together. He's teaching them. They're learning. They're laughing. They're playing. And before you know it, Isaac begins to grow up. Isaac, at the age of 13, God calls to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, and, I, and Abraham says, yeah, God. He says, I need you to do something for me. I need you to take your son, Isaac, and I need you to go sacrifice him. And Abraham's like, uh, I think you're using AT&T. I can't hear you. It sounds like you said, sacrifice my son. Because, and God said, no, Abraham, that's, that's what I want you to do. And Abraham, confused and stunned, thinks, oh, okay, God, I, okay. And so he begins to prepare all the stuff for the sacrifice. And, you know, I'm sure they'd been doing sacrifices. So and Isaac is there side by side. They're putting things together. And, you know, Isaac, he ain't dumb. He's looking around going, where's the lamb? I don't see a lamb. Where's the lamb? Dad, where's the lamb? And so, you know, he's getting nervous. 
But they begin to walk on this journey, and you can imagine how silent it is. Because inside of them both, I think they knew what was coming. And so as they're walking towards this mountain, finally God speaks to Abraham. He says, right there, here's where I want you to do it. And so Abraham looks up, tears filling his eyes, I'm sure, and he says, okay, here we go. So him and Isaac walk up there and they begin to construct and build the altar where the sacrifice is about to happen. And you could just imagine at that point, you know, Abraham is just crying. His heart is being ripped out of his chest. Tears are streaming from his face. And he says, Isaac, you gotta jump up on there. And Isaac, probably scared to death, hops up on this altar thinking, God, I don't know what's gonna happen right now. And as his heart is breaking, Abraham pulls out that knife and he begins to hold it up high and all of a sudden God says, stop. Stop, Abraham. And so people on the outside might read that story and go, well, that's so mean. Why would God do that? I'll tell you why. Because only God can sit unrivaled, unmatched, and unparalleled on the altar of your heart. So let me ask you the question. What sits unrivaled, unparalleled, and unmatched on your heart? Are you holding on to things? Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's sports or something. You're holding so tightly onto because you got to take it with you. And it's sitting on the altar of your heart. And you never, ever get to experience the fullness of God. Is God asking you to take something and sacrifice it and get rid of it? When you contemplate your priorities right now as you sit here in this room, where does God sit? Where does God sit in your life? And I sat with countless Christians who just had miserable lives, disconnected from God, and, and, they, under, and they under, wonder why. And I think, and I believe that deep at the heart of it is a worship issue because we worship these things. When times are tough, when things are bad, when things are going down, what do we do? What's the first place we run to? We run to the little G gods in our life. Instead of running to the big G God who has everything under control and in saying, God, it's yours, totally surrendered, 100%, I'm, I, it's you. We have a worship issue, we're missing it. And the truth of the matter is, is that we've gotten so good at the game. We've gotten so good at knowing the right things to say. We come into church, and again, like I said, it's transactional. We check off a list, you know, came in, did, did worship, did a little bit of prayer, a little bit of communion, a little bit of giving, and then that's it, and all of a sudden we think it's done. Let me tell you something. A true test of spirituality is not how much you read your Bible or how much you pray. A true test of spirituality is how much do you want to be in the presence of God. Because let me tell you something. If your heart and your heart is open completely to be in the presence of God, guess what? Reading your Bible, praying, tithing, all that stuff, it's It's beautiful. It's like icing on the cake. It's not, it's not hard to do. All those things you want to do. That's a true test of spirituality. We can't get caught in the routine of thinking we know how things work and, and missing God. In Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, God issues a stern warning. He issues a stern warning to his people who are doing this, who have set things in front of them and put things in a priority in their life that has moved God out of their, out of their priority list. And God issues them a strong warning in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. Then the Lord said, because this people draw near me with their words and honor me with their lip service, but he says, they removed their hearts far from me and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. He says, your heart isn't even here. You don't even really truly want to be in the presence. You just come to do a checklist thing. And he says, no, that's not what I want. He says, I want your heart. I want all of you. You can't go out and do, hold on to all these other things in the world and expect to come back in here. It doesn't work that way. 
There's a story that I want to share with you I just love. Uh, Perry Noble, who's a pastor uh, on the East Coast and, and does an incredible ministry out there, um, he's talking about his daughter one time where his wife went away for the day and left him in charge with his little four-year-old girl. Disaster, right? And so here he is uh, with his beautiful little girl that he loves, and she's just attached to his hip the whole day. She's attached. Well, it came to the point where he had to actually use the restroom, and he thought, okay, this is going to be weird. How am I going to get away from her? So he sits her down and says, I'll be right back, honey. And so he goes to the restroom and then like, oh, he makes a big mistake and forgets to lock the door. And so he's going to the restroom and all of a sudden she kind of creeps in and opens the door. And he's like, okay, this is awkward. And so now he's like, great. And so he's like wrapping up and, he, he, and then him and his daughter kind of trade places. She kind of walks around in front of the toilet and he kind of comes over here and he's washing his hands. And he's just looking at his daughter, admiring how beautiful she is. And he's thinking, man, you're the apple of my eye. I love you so much, little sweetheart. And he says, then my little beautiful girl did the unthinkable. He said, she grabbed a hold of that toilet bowl with both her hands, and with all she had, she took her lips and mwah, she kissed the front of that toilet. And he's looking at her, and he's like, no, that's so gross. And he reaches over, and he grabs his daughter, and he picks her up, and he's like, oh, I can't believe you did that. And she's looking at her daddy, and she goes, mwah, and she tries to kiss him, and he's like, oh, no. But how many of us as Christians do that? We go out in the world and kiss toilets and then try to come in here and kiss our father with those same lips. How many of us are in that spot? God wants us to be totally, completely surrendered, 100% his. Jesus Christ tore the veil and said, you can enter in if you're willing to give everything. The last verse I want to show you is Matthew chapter 16, 24. Jesus says, it's the most powerful, powerful words. And when you understand the context of why Jesus is saying it, it becomes even more powerful. Because you see, Jesus here is talking to his disciples. He's just not talking to any random person who doesn't really know the Lord or know the commitment. He's talking to people who are committed. He's talking to people who have literally given up their careers, their families, their lives to be with Jesus. And he does, and he says something that I think kind of shocks them. But it had to happen and he had to make sure and he turns to his disciples and he says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, 24, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now understand, the disciples would have got the imagery of the cross. They knew what the cross meant. They saw the horrific sacrifice that happened on the cross and they, they knew. And so he's saying, are you willing? If you want to follow me, are you willing to literally die to yourself? He says this, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. The thing you seek to hold on so tight, you will lose it. And he says, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he will find it. And then verse 26, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What are you willing to exchange? Because see, the thing is, is that you can't take other things into the Holy of Holies and be in the presence of God. If you're committed wholeheartedly, 100%, you've got to leave everything. You can't say, you know what? I'm going to take my job with me and I'm going to go because I can make this work. Because you try to walk in there and guess what? It will not happen. You can't take this with you. You can't have hold, holding on to anything. You've got to be completely surrendered to be in God's presence. But you're thinking, my family, I love my family so much. I've got to take my family with me. And I'm going... And he says, no, remember, anyone who seeks to save his life will lose it. But anyone who wants to lose their life for my sake will find it. Jesus was calling for this commitment. 
He was saying, come, give everything wholeheartedly to me. You know, sometimes the thing that keeps us from God can even be things like shame, guilt, past pain, hurt. All of those things can keep us from God, but the beautiful part about the ark when you look at it is that sitting atop the ark was the mercy seat. And Jesus reigns on the mercy seat. He rains down his mercy and his grace and his love and his forgiveness in your life. And the beautiful part is it doesn't matter where you're at. Even today, if you've wandered astray, if you've gone and done some things you're not proud of, today, when you want to walk in totally surrendered to God and you walk into the Holy of Holies, guess what? God will meet you there. He will meet you there. He says, I will meet you. It doesn't matter. You just come. You just be with me. Jesus wants to pour out that in your life and love you in a way that you've never experienced before. But God is asking you, will you surrender? Will you give everything up and say, I, I'm yours 100%? I'm gonna ask that right now in this room that if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, that you begin praying for your brothers and your sisters around you who need to know the Lord. For those of you who are in here today who, man, you've wandered, you've wandered away. You haven't committed. God is not number one on your priority list. There are some things you really need to let go. There are some things you need to put on that altar and sacrifice. Well, I'm gonna tell you today, if you feel God tugging on your heart, telling you to come home, then I'm gonna ask you to do something that's gonna take courage and boldness. But when you do it, man, you are gonna experience the new depths of God. If you've never entered into a relationship with God and Jesus Christ, then tonight, today, this is the day that God wants to meet you. This is the day that God has designed and intended for you. You were built for this moment. And so it doesn't matter where, where you're at. If you're sitting down low or up high, if you feel God calling you and tugging on your heart, then today I want you to make a commitment. I want you to pray a prayer of surrender that says, God, I'm yours. And when you do it, man, you will begin to experience the incredible things that God has for your life. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for every person in here, God. And I pray that as we evaluate our lives, we would make sure that you sit unrivaled, unparalleled, and unmatched on the altar of our heart. Those of you in here right now who need to make that commitment, you're sitting there in the quiet stillness and you're hearing God's voice, God's whisper calling you home, calling you to this relationship. Here's what I'm gonna ask that you do. I'm gonna ask that you just pray this prayer along with me. It's a prayer of dedication. It's a prayer that says, God, I'm giving you my life. No longer am I gonna hold on to my little G gods. I'm gonna give myself to the big G God. So if you're ready to make this commitment, you're ready to pray and commit everything to God, then here's what I want you to do. Just say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that you love me and I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me, to forgive me of my sin, to heal me of my hurt, and to give me a new life. So God, I wanna accept your forgiveness, accept your mercy, accept your grace. Here is my heart, Jesus. Please give me yours. It's in your son's name that I pray. I say amen. Praise God for those of you who said that prayer this morning.